God our Father and from the Lord Jesus, dear friends. Part of God's word that we'll give our attention to this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah chapter 2. We'll read the first five verses. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah in Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, so that we may walk in His paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations, and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of our God. The book of Isaiah is sometimes called the fifth gospel because of the way that this prophet describes the life and ministry of Jesus in such great detail. Isaiah is the one who foretold the virgin birth of the Savior. He's the one who points out to us that this child who was born in such a miraculous way would be none other than God himself with us. Emmanuel. Isaiah is the one who calls Jesus the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace. He spoke about Jesus' ministry in this world of preaching good news to the poor and proclaiming freedom for the captives, how he would give sight to the blind and cause the lame to walk. Isaiah even spoke about Jesus' passion, how he would go silently to the slaughter and how everything he suffered was for us and for all. It's a good reminder that this gospel message, through which Christ establishes his kingdom in this world, that message was around long before the Savior ever appeared. And it will be around to the end of time. Here in chapter 2, Isaiah points us ahead beyond Jesus' life and ministry during his 33 years in this world. And he shows us how everything Jesus accomplished at his first coming grew into this glorious success as his church was gathered and strengthened throughout the centuries until Jesus returns at the end of time. We're told that Isaiah saw these things means that they came to him in a vision from God. And so we know that this picture that he paints is reliable and true. The king whose birth we are getting ready to celebrate will reign in this world as long as it continues and forevermore. His kingdom will have no end. This morning, Isaiah helps us to see Christ's kingdom for what it is, so that as his people we can always have this prayer on our lips. Come Lord Jesus, as King. 
Isaiah begins by identifying the time frame that he's speaking about in these verses as the last days. Now what does that mean exactly? Well, from Isaiah's perspective, the last days include everything from Jesus' first coming in Bethlehem until his return at the end of time. And so what Isaiah describes in these verses is what we can expect to see throughout the entire New Testament era, right up to the present day and right up until the last day. As Isaiah looks ahead into these last days, he sees something pretty remarkable. He says that the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountain. Now, I think most, if not all of you, know that Solomon was the one who built God's first permanent temple here on earth. He built that on one of the hills or mountains around Jerusalem. But you know, compared to some of the other impressive mountains in our world, that hill in Jerusalem wasn't much. But it was always a special place for God's people. Always a place to which their eyes were naturally drawn whenever they made their way up to the city of Jerusalem. Because that was the place where God promised to be present with His people. And He was. That was the place where all of the sacrifices were made that pointed ahead to the one great sacrifice that Jesus would make on the cross for all. That temple in Jerusalem was a symbol of God's kingdom in this world. But it's not Solomon's temple that Isaiah is talking about in these verses. Because that temple is long gone in the last days. No, the temple that he's talking about is the Holy Christian Church. The kingdom that Christ establishes in the hearts of people through faith in Him. It's the same structure or the same temple that the Apostle Paul wrote about in Ephesians chapter 2. There he said, You are members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. This temple is found wherever the gospel is proclaimed. Wherever the good news of Christ crucified and risen for our salvation is being shared, God is there, present with His people, doing His work of bringing people to faith and strengthening them in the faith. And so this place is always a special one for us. Just as God's Old Testament people look forward to those opportunities to visit that temple in Jerusalem, so also we cherish every opportunity to hear the gospel message through which Jesus' rule in our hearts is cemented and our place in his kingdom is cemented. Isaiah says, this mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of all the mountains. And what does he mean by that? Well, there are a lot of other mountains out there in this world. A lot of other rivals to Christ's kingdom that are calling for people's hearts and minds. There are all kinds of false religions that teach nothing of the Savior, but still manage to attract many followers. Outwardly, 
They may look rather impressive, but none of them lead to eternal life. There are all kinds of different philosophies in our world claiming to have a better, more enlightened understanding and outlook of life than biblical Christianity. To human reason, they often sound very appealing, and they draw many followers to them. But they have no real saving truth. Only on the Lord's mountain, only in the Lord's temple, are people raised from the darkness of unbelief and death to light and life. That's why it's the highest of the mountains. It's because it is the very most important of the mountain. The only place in this world where saving truth and eternal life can be found. Where that gospel is being proclaimed in the Lord's temple. And this temple, this mountain, this kingdom is one that endures beyond all of its rivals. All the other mountains out there. While so many of these rivals lie in the dust of history, and eventually all of them will, this kingdom continues and grows from the first gospel promise until the last trumpet sounds. The church will never perish. The gates of hell will not overcome it. And what's more, Isaiah says, all nations will stream to it. Though in the eyes of the world this kingdom doesn't look all that impressive, Jesus assures us that he is at work every day drawing people into this kingdom from all the nations of the world. Remember God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that through their offspring all nations of the earth would be blessed. Isaiah saw that promise being fulfilled in this vision. We might think of the visit of the wise men not long after Jesus' birth. We might think of those crowds in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost hearing the gospel message in their own native tongue and being added to the number of those being saved. You might think of the mission work of the Apostle Paul throughout the Mediterranean world and the countless numbers of people who were gathered into the kingdom through that work. You might think of the global mission work going on in our world today. Christ is keeping his promise. Isaiah says, Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. In the book of Revelation, we're told that the gospel message will be proclaimed to every nation, tribe, language, and people. John sees a vision in that book of this great multitude gathered around the throne in heaven from every nation, tribe, language, and people. God keeping his promise. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. Isaiah saw it happening. So what is it that can possibly draw so many people from so many different places into one family, into one kingdom? Isaiah says, the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The teachings of God himself are present on this mountain and in this temple. The good news that lifts people from unbelief and death to light and life. The simple gospel message of sins forgiven through Jesus' sacrifice for all. 
in this temple, on this mountain, the word of God reigns supreme in all matters of faith and life. Isaiah says that God will come and judge between the nations, that he will settle disputes for many people as he tunes the hearts of his people to his loving will for them. And so what it means is that this kingdom that Christ establishes is going to be a place of peace and unity. Not the kind of political peace that so many people are looking for today. We have no such hope for this world ruined by sin. You know, just a couple of weeks back, we heard Jesus tell us what we ought to expect in these last days for the nations of the world. He said, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There can be no real and lasting peace among the secular nations of this world because they do not have the right tool to establish it. But the church does. In the church, in Christ's kingdom, the gospel of Jesus reigns supreme. And so peace reigns supreme. Jesus came to establish real peace between God and man. That relationship that was ruined by sin has been restored and reconciled once and for all by Jesus, the righteous one. And all who put their hope in him enjoy that peace and will enjoy it forever. One of the results of that peace that Jesus won is how it spills over in the lives of his people and breaks down any barriers that would keep us apart. Isaiah says that in Christ's kingdom, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. In this kingdom, nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Like rifles being turned into rakes or guns being turned into gardening tools. The power of the peace that Christ won for us is what empowers us to live at peace with one another. As God loved us, so we love one another. As God has forgiven us, so we forgive one another. As God calls all of us members of His family, so that's how we view one another as brothers and sisters in the faith. All of the ways in which the people of this world are categorized and divided. That all fades into the background thanks to the peace and unity that Jesus established for His kingdom. Paul says it like this, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's that kingdom of peace and unity that Jesus established. The unique splendor of Christ's kingdom in this world is a bright light, the most important one, in the midst of all of this darkness. This is what we're getting ready to celebrate at Christmas time. The establishment of this kingdom of peace with Jesus' birth and our place in it through faith in Him. And so Isaiah says to us as God's people come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. He's saying, let's live our lives in this world as people who have been included in the greatest kingdom there ever was. 
And we know that as long as we're in this world, we're still going to be the church militant. There's still going to be opposition. We're still going to face setbacks in this world. The world in general is not going to recognize the splendor of Christ's kingdom for what it is. But that doesn't mean we should be pessimistic. How can we be when Isaiah paints a picture of Christ's kingdom like this one and we know that we're a part of it? As members of this kingdom, we have opportunities and responsibilities to share the good news of everything that Jesus did so that many more people might join us in this place. And we know that God is going to bless our efforts because Isaiah saw it happening. 700 years before Jesus ever came, Isaiah saw that kingdom growing and flourishing. As God's people, we need to come and spend time in the light regularly ourselves too. Because we know those other rivals are out there. Those other mountains that seek to overshadow the mountain of the Lord. Whether it's false religion or empty philosophy or just plain worldliness and apathy to the things of God. As long as we remain in the world, the temptation is going to be great for us to find a place in some of those dark mountains, rivals. But Jesus tells us He's coming back. Just as surely as He came once, He will come again. And He wants His people, the members of His kingdom, to be ready. And so He says, stay alert. Keep watch. And how do we do that? Well, Jesus taught us a little prayer, a petition that we say again and again, maybe every single day of our lives, to help keep us focused. Your kingdom come. Every time we pray those words, we're acknowledging our eager anticipation of Jesus' return at the end of time. And every time we pray those words, we're asking Jesus right now to strengthen and maintain His rule in our hearts. And to extend His rule to the hearts of those who don't yet know Him. And so, the prayer that must be on our lips until the day we see Jesus face to face is this one. Come Lord Jesus, this King. Amen. And may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.